So I woke up Monday morning and I was thinking about the lottery. Not, you know, if I won all that money or, you know, about possible numbers. But I was actually thinking about like drawing itself. You know how they have the ping pong balls and you know how they come out and, and you pick the numbers that way by that randomized drawing. And I had an abstract thought. I was thinking about the actual meaning of life and I was thinking about the reverse of that process when you have, you know, certain, you know, white balls and flagellum going actually to an egg instead of out of it. Now, I know that sounds crazy that I'll be having that abstract thought, but trust me, this is going somewhere. So I continued in that thought and I started thinking about probability and I started thinking about the probability of like a miscarriage, the probability of just a healthy baby being born. And then I thought about myself, my family, and each of you guys. And I was thinking about the fact that the fact that we even here right now in this moment, the fact that I'm doing this podcast, the fact that you're listening to this podcast means that we won the lottery. Now, y'all know I'm not for empty affirmations, but I think we got to put life in perspective. When I think about my son being born, like I feel like every time I see him smile, I won the lottery. When I think about divorce rates and I think about how many people I know who um, have had to face that sad reality, how it breaks up families, how it can scar children. The fact that I'm still with my wife, man, and we have, you know, a, a budding and happy marriage. I feel like I won the lottery. And then I thought about those moments, man, when we're, you know, watching the ping pong balls and the anticipation that we have, the hope and the joy that we have in those moments. It's like it's the same joy that we should have for life, that joy de vivre. But so much of the joy for life, our joy for life has been replaced by the joy of money. It's the joy of getting a paycheck, the joy of watching somebody win a lot of money. It's the hope that we get in playing a lottery that we're going to win a lot of money. And here's the thing about that. Once you replace the joy of life, the joy of what we have right now with the joy of chance, when we put more stake in false realities and fake promises, than we do what we have in our hands right now. <laughs> that's when we start having a problem um, to be a Negro to be a Negro in this country and to be um, relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage almost almost all of the time you wonder why i spit the truth but not to make no dope Welcome to another episode of Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Man, listen. So we finally got a, a jackpot winner. Jackpot winner, apparently, uh, somebody out of South Carolina, <laughs> out of my uh, my native South Carolina, man. So imagine that. Congratulations to that winner. I can tell you right now it's not me because y'all already know, man. Look, I'm hell and I ain't got $800 million. Boy, do y'all know what kind of – boy, woo-woo. Man, I, I changed the world with $800 million, man, like not playing. I mean, so many things like, you know, as as I as I'm sure many of you have like envisioned winning that money like and shoot, I played. I mean, look, man, hey, two dollars. 
for the, for that type of turnaround for eight hundred nine hundred million dollar turnaround. Yeah, I gave it a shot, but I didn't win. You didn't win, so you already know what it is, cuz. So yeah, consider this your uh, back to reality podcast, man, because we got to keep it a buck about some issues, man. I just want to uh, take care of a few um, preliminaries. Uh, uh, preliminaries first. Want to shout out my my homie Maine, man, with the More Than a Masters podcast. Uh, Maine, you know, consistently doing this thing, man, putting out two three podcasts a week, man. Just um, very proud of him. But I was telling him uh, recently, he was talking about something related to some something related to his podcast, man, and. Now, he was talking about structure, and I sent him a message, and I said, structure is overrated. And uh, so I want to be a man of my word. So this uh, this podcast right here is going to, I'm not going to, I don't want to say it's going to be all over the place. Because <clears throat> what I'm going to look at, you know, for this podcast is I'm going to look at certain numbers. I'm going to look at certain things that I'm seeing that's, uh, that's going on around us. And, of course, you know, I I have very real concerns about, you know, in the black, in, among black people. You know, I really do think that we stake our fortunes on a sheet of paper, you know, whether that sheet of paper be, you know, a, a diploma or whether that sheet of paper might be, you know, like a lottery ticket. And I think that there's more that we can do as a collective, as a community, as individuals um, to make it so that we don't have to rely on, you know, certain probabilities um, in order to, you know, make in, in order to make a living, in order, in order to, to make a life out of this thing. Now, there are a few things I want to talk about, because when I originally said that I was going to do this podcast, I got a lot a lot of feedback from a lot of different people. And even like recently, I've I've heard a few things. <laughs> uh, I got a shout out um, DJ Moore, um, not the Carolina Panthers one. Uh, that's him, Jay Moore. I uh, hope you're listening, brother. Uh, he was talking about. Well, no, it was, it was actually a post on a, another guy's um, Facebook page. And he was uh, the guy was saying that Mega Millions was a scam, and uh, so Dasan was like, <laughs> he was like, uh, he tagged me in the joint and said, "I know you, you know, you've got to feel some type of way about Mega Millions." I mean, you know, I guess it's supposed to be randomized, but man, I ain't gonna lie to you, man. When I saw those numbers come across and they had the five, um, that was a like one of the the five numbers, and then they had the five is like the little Mega Ball number. I was like, nah, bro. <laughs> I was big mad at that. I ain't going to lie to y'all, man. I felt like, you know, it was very janky. But in all serious, man, I want to share this uh, story with you guys. Well, it's a, um, it may be an opinion piece, but it's on Politico. It's called, it says, um, Mega Millions is a scam that's totally worth it. Uh, the, lot of, the lottery takes advantage of the poor and unsophisticated, but even the losers are winners. Uh, Voltaire called it a tax on stupidity. Statisticians tell you that you have a better chance of being hit by falling debris from an airplane. Um, economists call it a tax on the poor because the least well-off among us spend a far bigger share of their incomes on it, and it doesn't even matter. As soon as the numbers grow big enough, tens of millions of Americans will, uh, Americans will head to their convenience stores for a virtually non-existent chance to strike it very, very rich. Let me say, um, look, the gas stations was looking like Walmart out here, man, real rap. Um, more than 280 million mega millions tickets were sold for last Friday's drawings, um, and that was when, of course, there was no winner. Um, well, I should, I should say for the 26th consecutive week, no winner by Tuesday night with a $1.6 billion first prize at stake. Um, and this is a, looks like this is an older story, but, um, 
It continues on. It says it's a national celebration of illusion in which citizens and media alike are happily complicit. We never see long lines and hysterical news reports when the jackpots are, say, 40 million, although for most of us, say 99 percent of 40 million dollar prize would change our lives significantly. But once the once the numbers move up into the half billion dollar uh, dollar range, the allure of the prize becomes irresistible. Once the jackpot reaches the stratosphere, uh, the media goes nuts with the same story on almost every every broadcast. Long lines of happy customers wave at the camera, blah, 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 so on and so forth. These stories never mention buzzkill facts like these from Investopedia. In California, a study found that 40% of those who played the lottery were unemployed. In Maryland, the poorest one-third of its population buys 60% of all lottery tickets. And in Michigan, people without a high school diploma spend five times more on the lottery than those with a college education. Nor is there much appetite to cite a report by the North American Foundation for Gambling Addiction Help that there are nearly 10 million people in the United States who struggle with a gambling habit. I mean, (laughs) those those uh, statistics speak for themselves. And I think, you know, when you look at it from a larger spectrum, I mean, let's face it, people want a feel good story. I mean, we like watching game shows. We like watching people win. We like I mean, we're in this kind of this this social media reality like escapism is the word for the day like life you know our professions you know so many things are like like life hurts man like life is is painful for a lot of people for a lot of varying reasons and so we have different vices and different things that we that we use to try to escape from it all and i mean it's a it's a it's honestly a very dangerous culture because at some point you got to come back to the to the reality of it all. At some point you got to snap out of the matrix, man. And granted, there's a lot of money that's invested in, you know, trying to have people to live in a fantasy world. You know, like maybe your fantasy world is your Facebook where you can, you know, lie and pretend about different things. Or, you know, maybe it's a, a video game or maybe it's, you know, drug or alcohol abuse or, or maybe it's gambling, whatever it is. But at some point, man, you're going to snap out of it and you got to come back to, to the real world. But then, of course, when you look at those statistics and the how and the why people play a lottery, it's an indictment on society as a whole. Per usual, we're talking about the haves and have nots. We're talking about people who have a college education versus those who don't have a college uh, education. We're talking about, you know, people in poverty uh, versus people, you know, in prosperity. And, you know, a, a lot of these things just break down as simple as, you know, where did your ta- where did your child attend elementary school or, you know, what side of town did your child grow up? And this is why it's so important for us to and when I say us, I mean, I just think people in general need to fight tooth and nail, you know, for you got you got to fight for this stuff, man, because what we're seeing from uh, legislators, what we're seeing from, you know, the haves, the one percent, whatever you want to call them, is that they're greedy and they're getting to the point now they, they don't even want you to have the crumbs like they literally want it all. And this is why we're seeing cuts in education. This is why we're seeing cuts in city services. And people think people who maybe have a little bit think, well, uh, you know, that, that doesn't really apply to me. So, you know, if they cut city services, if they cut, you know, public transportation, that's not really hurting me. But you do a disservice to yourself because eventually what's going to happen is this. And this is where, you know, I, this is where we don't really understand. I don't think why you got to help people, why you got to help. It's not even so much about the have nots. It's just about people who are having a hard time or maybe that that's a general a generational dynamic. 
because if we're going to correlate poverty to crime, if we're going to correlate, you know, bad things or, or bad or people who have bad things happen to them going out and doing bad things to other people, you know, hurt people, hurting people, then you got to understand that's going to affect like the everyday person before it's going to affect the CEO, before it's going to affect the legislator, before it's going to affect the establishment. So if no other reason than for self-preservation, you should really want to see government do right by everybody. This is why, among other reasons, why hyperpartisanism is so nonsensical, because what it ends up doing is, is that it turns the American people against each other. And for what? For the good of whom? Because as near as I can tell, the only folks who are really winning are like your legislators. It's like the establishment. This is why I grade like, you know, politicians, elected officials and candidates. I grade them on their merits. I don't grade them on what party they're affiliated with. I don't grade them on, you know, what they do in debates. I grade them on what uh, on who they're willing to fight for and what they're willing to fight for. And y'all know how I roll, man. I, look, I root for everybody black. Now, that's not to say I don't want everybody to succeed. But I mean, shoot, if you've been listening to the show, you know what it is, man. Hey. Black people have been grossly underrepresented and um, disrespected. I mean, for the entirety of, <laughs> you know, since we were br- since we were brought to this country. So, yeah, I want to see the government and everybody else do right by by black folks, period. But let's continue to uh, talking about the lottery, because there's another uh, story I want to share with you guys. There's actually a newspaper out of South Carolina. And it's so ironic that this was written, um, you know, by the I mean, I, w- I would say it's one of the premier newspapers in South Carolina. It's the state newspaper. It's out of Columbia. And it says uh, South Carolina's poor play the lottery, but the wealthier win the scholarships. Here's why. Great story by Lucas Dupril. Uh, starts out says college was getting more expensive. African-American students were lagging behind their white peers in standardized test scores. Universities and colleges needed money, but raising taxes was a political pipe dream. That was in 2000 when voters amended the state constitution to allow a state run lottery. Hmm. Uh, the key part of the program with scholarships designed to help students attend college who otherwise couldn't afford it. Fast forward to today. Despite the lottery raising five billion billion with a B dollars since 2002, those who benefit the most from the lottery scholarships are not those who need it the most, according to the state's analysis of data and public records. Rather, working class people and minorities spend a disproportionate amount of their income playing the lottery, funding scholarships for primarily wealthier white students to attend the state's flagship universities, according to statistics. That's no surprise, say longtime critics of the lottery. A state-run lottery was a ploy <coughs> Democrats used through the South uh, to woo white suburban voters into voting blue, say critics, some of whom are Democrats. It's a very uh, interesting story. Well, actually, I'm going to go ahead. Look, I'm going to keep it going. We concentrated so much on scholarships, and I know why, said Senator um, Darrell Jackson, a Richland County Democrat who sits on the Senate Education Committee. They had to find a way for upper income white families to support the lottery. And then, of course, like the story goes deeper than that, because South Carolina hasn't had a Democratic governor in 20 years and probably counting, sad to say. But that's the thing about it, man, is that, you know, these political pipe dreams are you know, being sold to people and we're not reaping the benefits. It's as simple as that. And I, I think the solution is simple. If you see a deficiency in your in your city, in your uh, town, county, state, speak up about it. Say, hey, this is something that, you know, that where we're deficient. If it's a deficiency in transportation, speak up. If it's a deficiency in education, speak up. 
we got to stop leaving stuff up to chance. And I'm just not talking about, you know, during an election year. Like, look, we have problems that, <laughs> you know, we have problems in years that aren't election years. But I want to go ahead and make this point before I um, go to break, because I, I got a lot of things I want to talk about. I want to talk about uh, group economics. <clears throat> um, by request, I'm going to talk about the black church um, and as it relates to group economics and, you know, putting your money in and how we invest our money and, and some of the returns um, that we are or, and are not, you know, getting all that money. I just want to make a point about, you know, about politicians and the importance of this particular season, because when we, you know, reelect officials who, you know, haven't done anything for us, when we even I think when we uplift freshman candidates who don't make themselves accessible to their constituency, I think we're playing a very dangerous game. I think we as much as, you know, there's a, a, a danger in relying on chance and relying on the lottery. Um, as a means of sustaining a community or as a means of, you know, making a, a healthy and a wealthy lifestyle. I think we, you know, I think we leave it up to chance when we don't vet our candidates. And so with that, I want to leave you with this classic, man. Hey, and a, a lot of us are doing this, man. A lot of us are um, are playing at our own risk. <laughs> You're listening to Making a Difference.
are making and you are listening to Making a Difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. District 5 in all of Aiken County. My name is Juanita Hall. I am a candidate for Aiken County Council District 5 Council seat. On Tuesday, November the 6th, I need your vote. I was born and raised in District 5. I am running on the platform of transparency and opportunity. Aiken County is growing in leaps and bounds, but we have to make sure that our rural communities are not left out of the important developments. District 5 needs affordable options for public transportation and garbage collection. We must ensure that taxpayers' funds, especially those from capital projects, are allocated to unserved communities. I believe my participation in local politics and my 42 years of working experience in SRNS have uniquely qualified me to be your councilwoman in District 5. I need just one thing your vote. Aiken County, I encourage you to vote early. If you are unable to do so, please make sure you get out on Election Day, which is Tuesday, November the 6th, and vote for me, Juanita Hall. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. We're here talking about the lottery, and <laughs> I don't know if I said this earlier, but the winner was out of Simpsonville, man. I got family in like Simpsonville, South Carolina. Like I got family in the upstate of South Carolina, man. I wonder if uh some of the family hit the lick, man. If uh if they did, man, I I tell anybody, man, if money was no object, this is exactly what I'd be doing, man. I'd be uh you know, just creating uh, a media and this is like really my passion, man, to like kind of create just this you know, uh, enterprise media, you know, this information source. You know, it, and it's, you know, media is a lot of different things. It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, man. But for me, it's just it's just about presenting news in a way that allows black people to tell us, tell our stories in our way. And I don't really think we get a chance to do that a lot, man. Um, I know that's an issue locally. I, I mean, I would I would say it's an issue abroad, man. I mean, wherever you go in the world, it's like, when, you know, when and how do we get to tell tell our stories and you know in in our way man so that's something that's always been a passion of mine it's something that for us all said and done man i hope i get to do it you know on a level man where it's you know i'm able to provide a living for my family man and like i said just be able to tell uh the the gospel the gospel truth man about you know about a lot of different issues man and that's why i'm I'm here doing what i do man and i, and I love doing it for sure man um so like I said, when I first um when I first wanted to do this podcast, I the the way I the exact way that I put it is I said it will be interesting to see if we, you know, if if you know, if, if the community well, I I'll just say just for sake of argument, black folks, could practice group economics in a way other than uh a lottery pool. And so, you know, got a lot of feedback to that, a lot of response to that. Man, I and I appreciate you guys, by the way, man. I don't think you guys know how much y'all I appreciate y'all feedback, man. Just that kind of kickback, you know, just um just in that support. But, you know, there was a, a person who um and shout out Ann Ware, man. Um, if she's listening, man, look I <laughs> I'll tell you why I'm laughing. I'm gonna tell you why I'm laughing at at uh, at Andrea. Um, the reason why I'm laughing at her, uh, and by the way, congratulations on the pregnancy young lady. Happy for you, man. It's, Parenthood is an amazing, amazing thing, man. It's a great experience. 
Um, but she's always like, man, <laughs> I guess her attention span as it relates to like podcasts. Cause you know, I, and honestly, man, that's why I try to do some of my stuff like more quick hit because I know, man, look, asking y'all to sit down 30 minutes and like, listen, it's like, bro, I got, I got stuff to do, man. And you know, I, like, I really get it, man. Um, but look, fool with me, man. It's just 30 minutes, man. You could probably, you know, you could look, maybe ride somewhere you can listen to it. It's, I mean, and I know a lot of y'all that just listen to it religiously, man. I, I appreciate y'all so much, man. Y'all got to give me some feedback on, like, how you all listen to the podcast. Like, is it something that you do maybe when you're working out? Something you're doing, like, maybe when you're cleaning up? Is it during the work commute? Is it something that you, like, actually take leisurely time? I know uh, Trevin James, shout out TJ for a minute, man. Um, he listens to it with his kids. So, man, look, I appreciate that, man. You are. Uh, you know, imparting some of these things onto the uh, onto the future generations, man. I definitely, like I said, appreciate that. But anyway, um, and where she was saying, you know, group economics, it uh, it involves so much. You know, it involves trust, it involves partnerships, it involves you know, sometimes it it involves lawyers, different things like that. Just to be perfectly clear, man, when I made that commentary, like it was not in the spirit of respectability politics, and I and I don't think that's that was. I don't think she saw that as the intent, but I, and my main concern was, is that we don't have these partnerships, man. Like group economics is important because of quite honestly, the lack of black wealth, uh, as it, you know, in, in comparison to, to white wealth. And so it underscores the importance of people really coming together and not always with everybody got to be in lockstep with how exactly we want to do something. But I think if there's a, a general consensus that we want to see things, certain things come to fruition. Are you willing to make that investment? I would like to think that people want to make that type of investment as it relates to making a difference, man. You know, and I understand like, and, and, and that's perfectly fine with me. That's perfectly fine. Fine with, you know, if you are endorsing maybe a political candidate and you want to financially support them, when you put your money behind something, you have a say in it, you have a voice in it. That's why I tell people all the time and we're going to, Bro, this podcast, I got an idea for this podcast. It's so crazy, man. Y'all going to love it. I'm going to tell you right now. It's going to be called Black Lies Matter. L-I-E-S, Black Lies, Black Lies Matter. I think it's so important because I think there are certain things that we've been told as, as African-Americans as it relates to. And again, you know, as we talk about the lottery and different things like that, I think there are going to be some some correlation between this podcast and the Black Lives Matter podcast because I really... I think that so much of the black experience and how we define success or being successful, like a lot of it really is like playing the lottery, man. Like when you think about uh, adults who will raise their kids, maybe who kids who are athletically gifted to like really believe like, hey, you can be a professional athlete and like that. And like, I mean, parents will spend hundreds of dollars on AAU and different things like that. You know, thinking, oh, man, my kid's going to make it to the big, like to the to the big leagues, man. And like, how much money do you and I understand, you know, investing in your child's dreams. But I think when you look at the statistics of making it to like to the NBA or to the NFL, it's so unrealistic, bro. But, yeah, we will tie people to those dreams. And I think even as you look at, you know, some of the alternatives, I don't think the alternative is just saying, well, you know, we need more kids to be. I mean, and we do need more ki more kids to be, you know, like doctors and lawyers. But there are viable jobs and professions like out here where you don't have, you don't have to attend college. I think we need to give our kids more options, man. It's about not leaving stuff up to chance. It's about, you know, 
telling the telling the full story and then allowing our our, our kids to decide hey you know or it, some of it's about decision making obviously but but some of it's about passion too man it's like what are you good at what do you like to do and we trivialize that so often man we like crush a kid's dreams because we say well that's not that's not viable you can't make any money doing that and i think we do that to and I, I don't think i know we do that to our kids detriment but back to the group economics point there's such viability in pooling resources you know when you look at I mean, just something like as simple as childcare. Like, if you have somebody in the community who, you know, is really good at really good with kids, and you know, you you vet them, and you know, you see they're a viable candidate. Why not put you know Why not put money behind that? I mean, that's just like a very very small scale. I mean, on a larger scale, you know, and I said this on a previous podcast, the Black Vote. If you haven't listened to that one, oh my God, you're missing out. But I mean, putting your money behind, you know, endorsing political candidates. And, you know, here's what people here's what people are, are telling me or have told me, you know, as as we're going through the political process. And, you know, I'm talking to different candidates and different things like that. People are saying, well, these campaigns are expensive. And my initial response is, well, my initial thought, rather, I have I have two thoughts. First thought is most of these people get started so late in the game and they don't realize how much this stuff costs and when they do they're like so overwhelmed but then the other part about that is it's like okay you 50 people you ask 50 people for 20 dollars bam thousand dollars right there and you think if you did that every month for a year how much money you would have you'd have twelve thousand dollars now, when you're talking about, you know, like a, a major political campaign, like $12,000 isn't a lot of money. But in in terms of local politics, like $12,000 is a sizable investment. And that doesn't even necessarily have to be group economics. That, that's just I mean, that when you look at 12, 12 K, I mean, that's just basically donations. Like when you really get people like that are, are cutting checks for. You know, and this may be laughable for some, but you got people out here signing thousand dollar checks, five thousand dollar checks, ten thousand dollar checks. It's feasible. It's just, you know, as uh, Ann said on that, uh, said on, on the post, it just it takes trust. It takes, you know, a lot of different things It it requires, you know, planning. There was another uh, commentary that I want to talk about, you know, on the um, that, one, that I'm going to talk about here on this podcast. Uh, shout out Troy Reddick. Troy Reddick said, man, I want you to you know, talk about the black church and, you know, some of the investments that are made there. And I'm going to do that um, as soon as we take this quick break. Very quick break, y'all. Um, listen to Making a Difference. I am Gloria Frazier, and I have been your Georgia State Representative for House District 126 for over a decade. You have trusted me with this awesome responsibility since 2006. And I ask that you trust me once again with your vote in the general election on Tuesday, November the 6th. I could tell you about the various committees I have served on in the State House or the recognition in the form of awards I have received. I would rather much talk about the importance of serving my community. Service that takes a shape in the form of a world-class cyber center and training facility here in Augusta, Georgia. $50 million have been allocated by the state in this facility which will bring jobs and opportunities to Richmond County. Service that takes shape in the form of dedication to education and affordable health care. 
Service isn't just about buildings. It's about building up people, whether it's a child in pre-K or a senior citizen. That's why it's so important that you vote for me in November. Involve yourself in the political process, not just when you vote, but also informing yourself about what's going on in your city, your state, and this country. I am grateful for your support in the primary and for the past 13 years. Now I'm asking you to continue your support by re-electing me, Gloria Frazier, as your Georgia State Representative for House District 126. Paid for by the Committee to Re-elect Gloria Frazier. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Uh, again, shout out Troy Reddick. Troy said, uh, please also address why we don't collectively view participation in churches under non-regionally specific unified denominations as an example of group economics practice amongst our people. Uh, my immediate response was, this is complex. The black church of 50 years ago is in the same church of today. To our detriment, civil rights activism is frowned upon in the church now because of government involvement. Prosperity gospel paints an unrealistic picture of black life. Does the church care about the poor or shun the poor? And even with these concerns, people still give freely to the church. I contend they are getting the bang for their buck. And I say this as someone who aspires to be Christ-like. Now, the church is a great example of group, group economics. Um, just from the perspective of being able to collect money. And, you know, again, it's it's an ideological thing where people believe in the cause. And, the, and you know, ideally the cause being the cause of Christ or the cause of, you know, whomever your God is or, or what you, or what you believe in. It's that giving is related to uh, ideological and spiritual belief. You know, there are a number of people, including myself who believe that, you know, giving um, is a part of a spiritual obligation. And that is true, but I believe there with that, there's also a burden of responsibility on those individuals who are receiving those resources to, you know, I, I think, you know, when people say we're doing the work of Christ, you know, I think that that starts out with, you know, Jesus helped like Jesus had paid attention to the war. Jesus um, conducting himself as it related to the world around him in a very practical and realistic way. And I think that's something that, you know, as I alluded to the church, um, has gotten away from, and this creates a very real conflict and not even so much a conflict because people are making the decisions. People are making the decisions to not attend church. People who attend church are making the decision to not put their money in the plate because they don't believe in how individual churches are conducting themselves. They don't believe in, um, church, you know, in churches who promote prosperity gospel, there are some who, uh, I got, I'm gonna shout out my man, Jamel here. Like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna get, to, I'm gonna get to back to this point. In just a second. Man. I got to shout out my, my brother, Jamel, man. I got so much love for Jamel. Smart, dumb podcast is killing it right now. Um, do this for me, man. When you finish listening to this podcast, download the anchor, a N C H O R app, download the anchor app. Um, look for the smart, dumb podcast, smart, dumb. It's one word. S M A R T. Dumb D-U-M-B podcast with Jamel Powell. Uh, Jamel's doing a great job, man. He's uh, talking about a lot of different topics, man. He's going to be talking about a lot more. If you're a sports fan, you definitely want to listen to his commentary. Uh, really did a, a nice mis mishmash of talking about the Laker, the uh, Laker fight, the Laker Rockets fight, and uh, also the, the USC fight with uh, Connor and uh, Khabib. 
thought it was just it was very it was very intelligent it was well done kind of sifted through some of the social media foolishness man and really got to the heart of a lot of important issues man really proud of jamel for that um so listen to that man definitely but jamela made a point in the this discussion that we're talking about that um that churches people think that churches are a scam and i think you know we, we kind of get to a point now where it's like we just kind of throwing this word scam around where when we, we say scam you really lose the context of what it is that i think when you say scam it's a generalization of a mismanagement of money and i think when you say scam well i'll, I'll put it like this there is a culture where you can mismanage money but then i think there's also the in, is it unintentional or is it intentional? Is it with evil intent or is it with good intent? Now, don't get me wrong. There's never an excuse for mismanaging money. But when you throw the word scam out there, you know, it makes it seem like, well, there's some evil intent involved with this mismanagement of money. And I don't necessarily think that's the issue with the church. What we got to do with the church is very simple. I think we have to come back we have to really come back to uh a realistic and a practical i just i just think lifestyle as it relates to church i think when you talk about prosperity gospel i think when you talk about even a spirituality even a religion that when you talk about the black church and let's and let's talk about the idea of the black church because ideally the church shouldn't even be segregated but the fact that it is segregated and you do have a black church, to me, is not an indictment of black people. I think it is an indictment of white supremacy. And so you have a church that came out of that. And I think by virtue of the fact I feel I feel about black churches like I feel about black colleges, you got to understand by virtue of the origins of these um, entities or these organizations, you got to understand that there's always got to be a place for social justice and for social commentary because we're not in a post-racial America. We're not in a post-racial society. So you got to understand those concerns are always there. You got to be able to speak to them. And so when we talk about speaking to these concerns, again, we come back to the economic disparity of it all. And so if you're in a position where you're able to collect money, which is the case of the black church, which is the case of the black college, you're able to collect money. You're collecting money in the spirit of helping black people, not for self-promotion, not for you know, helping the haves and shunning the have nots. But we're collecting this money to close opportunity gaps, to close disparity gaps. But there again, when I think about black churches and I think about the black colleges, we have to eliminate that element of escapism. And this is, believe it or not, this is an ideological thing, too, because when I challenge the notion of escapism, you know, people say, well, can you just, you don't like to have fun or you don't like to have a good time and nothing can be further from the truth. I just I'm just very particular about putting things in perspective. I had a very controversial conversation with someone um, earlier this week when I heard about the um, the AKA advisor down at Fort Valley State University. and They were basically pimping out the girls in a sorority. And. My my immediate response was, I just said, throw fraternities and sororities away. And man, that <laughs> that that really started that really started a mess. And I had made it made an argument based on, you know, from the time you're pledged to the time maybe you're an alumni, you know, 
part of these organizations, I said they they've gotten away from the I think from the intent of the organizations, I think they're fundamentally flawed. And I know some of y'all listening to this podcast are a part of sororities and fraternities. I'm pretty sure I'm going to hear from y'all about this. And you know what? Bump it. I'm going in. Um, So you're a pledge. All right. Now, I understand these things don't happen with every sorority, every fraternity, but it's ingrained in the culture enough where it raises some serious concerns. We, let's talk about the hazing. Okay. That's a major issue. Um, when you talk about, okay, you get into an organization and, or you're about to join an organization. So you pay in some cases to get beat upside the head, to get beat up. And then after a period of time, you're supposed to say, okay, after these people took my money and beat me up, now they're my, my brothers and my sisters for life. Mm, don't know about that. Do fraternities and sororities have the capacity to, you know, not only promote community service, but brotherhood and sisterhood. Absolutely. And some do a great job of that. But I think when we look at I mean, even this just the idea of when you say Greek life and I think about Greek and as it relates to the African-American experience, man, those those really are compatible. If you look at the if you look at, you know, Grecian and African history, those aren't those are those are not compatible cultures. So it's like you're taking on a certain element of whiteness. We get to, you know, the graduate alumni level, you know, folks who say, well, I've been in this fraternity sorority for 30 or 40 years and. I mean, there's a certain level of of elitism that goes in it. Again, just the have and the have nots. There are some things that I just I'm not pleased with it, man. I'm just not. Now I know I kind of went off on a tangent. I'm uh, but it's about you know, perspective is the word, and I'm very specific as it relates to the mission of certain institutions when it comes to the black church. When it comes to black colleges, you know, when I see foolery you know happening at these particular institutions a foolery that i believe takes away from the experience of the labor force what i think it takes away from you know people who come you know to these uh, institutions looking for need or assistance or fulfillment and they don't get it i got a problem with that and such is the case sadly with black churches and black colleges i'm gonna say this and i'm gonna go ahead and close out the podcast because i I do want to leave this leave this podcast with the understanding that we do have to combat this, this culture of escapism. I do think we have to combat this culture of chance because I think there are so many people who believe that the only way to success is with a slip of paper. I do think that escapism in our, in among black people is something that really keeps us from attacking issues head on. Um, particularly on the local level, because I do think there are some issues that we can rectify and that we should rectify within our own towns. It may be something that is in your church. It may be something, you know, that's that's in your city council. And I I, I really don't like the word distraction because I think people are smart enough to walk and chew gum. At the same time, I think people are smart enough to talk about an issue over here and then come back and talk about this is, you know, to, and talk about another concern, you know, elsewhere. So I don't I don't really get into the whole distraction culture or distraction commentary. But I do think that we should prioritize, you know, certain discussions. And I think before we assess our political candidates, I think before we drop, you know, the money in the church bucket, you know, I, I really think we should assess the end game. Like, I really do think that we should look at the system that we're investing in and seeing if, if we're getting the the best out of it 
And if we're not, are we going to have the courage? We should have the courage to step up and say, you know what? This isn't entirely right. Or rather, it's not right at all. With that, man, I'm going to go ahead and close out this episode of Making a Difference, man. I appreciate you guys listening as always. Uh, if you're not, look, loud, 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 man. I know y'all listen to man. SoundCloud.com backslash Making a Difference, man. Download the SoundCloud app today. Follow your boy on there today because literally when i'm as i'm uploading these podcasts as you go to the soundcloud app you'll see it and you can listen to it right then and there uh you can also listen to the previous podcast uh, you can also follow um follow us on facebook facebook.com backslash making a different show m-a-k-i-n-a different show um again that's soundcloud that's facebook man um man it's just it's so much support for the show man it's it's growing by leaps and bounds man i'm forever grateful um to you guys who are investing uh with the show, if you want to be on the mailing list, we also have that as well. Um, you can, it's uh, making a different show, M A K I N, a different show at gmail.com. And that's another quick way to find out about not only podcasts, but also video logs because we do the video logs on Facebook. And of course, we do the podcast on SoundCloud. But with all that in mind, man, um, you know how about how I feel about voting? Look, definitely go vote. Definitely research your candidates and research the, you know, amendments before you go vote, man. Hold these candidates accountable, man. Make sure, you know, if you listen to this podcast and I, I would like to think that everybody cares about issues facing the African-American community. But I would certainly like to think that, you know, as black folks listen to the show, man, make sure your candidates are speaking about issues look, are speaking about black people and black issues, man. If they're not look, if they can't say black, black, man, look. Get these folks right, man. You know, you a hey, black, black, blackity black, and I'm black, y'all. Straight like that, man. I'm Kim Making, man. Love you guys so much. Peace. And God bless. Thank you for listening to this episode of Making a Difference. But the movement doesn't stop here. You can follow us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com backslash making M-A-K-I-N a difference. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash making M-A-K-I-N a different show. That's the best way to keep up with all of our podcasts and video logs. Love you guys so much. Peace and God bless. You win. Perfect.